Okay, you go. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Humans of VC. I'm your host, Senior Peyton Marshall. On the Boston College seal, you'll find the phrase, ever to excel, written in Greek on the pages of an open book. I found it often to be the case that our biggest challenges are what pave the way for our biggest accomplishments and passions. Join me in getting to know members of the BC community, who they are, where they come from, and how they excel. So I'm Colin. I am a sophomore here at BC. I'm, I'm majoring in psychology BA. Um, I'm from Canton, Mass, which is about 45 minutes outside of BC. And uh, yeah, I um, I took some time off from BC to kind of work on myself a little bit, which we'll I'm assuming we'll talk about. Yeah, and I came to BC because um, I before I was at BC, I, I went to the University of Michigan, and you know I was I was out there for only a little bit, um, but I just didn't like being so far away from home. It didn't feel right. Um, and you know I have, I have a family who went to BC, and I was familiar with the campus. So, and I, I got in off the wait list. So I was like, I have to go. And I'm happy I came here because it was, it was absolutely the best decision to make. What's your favorite thing about BC? Um, I like how it's not like so massive, like Michigan, Michigan was massive. Um, but BC, it's, um, it's big, but it's, it's not so big that you lose that sense of community um, mm-hmm. that you tend to lose at those really big schools. Um, like, I feel like BC is kind of like a tight knit community. Um, and I know I have a lot of friends that I, you know, we're, we're very intimate and like open, authentic friends, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I've never experienced those types of friendships before I ended up at BC. So just, you know, people's willingness to be like open and just talk about real stuff. It's just been, it's been really, really special. Well, some of that might be you. What's yeah. that? Some of that might be you. You're someone who's willing to be hmm. open and talk about real stuff. That's a good point. Yes. Um. I mean, I think you being here <laughs> speaks to that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, yeah, what are some of your favorite communities that you are a part of at BC? Um, and, and where have you found your most authentic and meaningful relationships here? Okay. Um, I mean, so I'm only really involved in two communities at BC. One of them is um, not quite a community, but I'll, I'll mention it. Um, the first one is, I mean, wellness coaching. Um, so it's my, so this is my first semester being a wellness coach um and you know it's only been a couple months i mean including the um the training over the summer and stuff but just getting to know those people has been really amazing because everybody just wants to help other people grow into their most like true and authentic version of themselves you know and just help them identify goals for themselves and to you know just become the better people that they want to be and it's basically like if i were to give one word to describe the wellness coach community it would just be growth and Mm -hmm. I love that because, you know, I, I need to grow all the time. I, I need to keep growing. And if, if I think that I've stopped growing, then I'm lying to myself because there is no such thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just like I was saying earlier, I, I've been able to be very open and vulnerable with certain wellness coaches that I've gotten to know better than others. And, you know, they've shared that vulnerability right back with me. And it's, it's just been really cool. Um, and, you know, getting to talk to like other peers who come to coaching sessions, oh, it's just been so cool to like when, right, when yeah. completely opens up their heart and like, it's just telling you about the stuff they don't like normally talk about and like telling you about the struggles that they have and they, they trust you with that information. You're actually able to try to be helpful. It is, it is a special. And it's someone that you just met, you know, yeah, yeah. five I, minutes ago. And then yeah. all of a sudden you're talking like you've been friends for five years. Right. It's, it's special. Um, and it definitely reminds me that like, you know, 
like human connection is just like one of the most amazing things and like genuine loving human connection is like an experience that like you know people shouldn't miss out on because it's really something special you know and it just gets better and better um yeah but then the other the other community is the uh, the recovery community um so there's not a ton of us on campus and i you know i'm not going to mention anyone's name in in respect of their anonymity but um you know it's the same deal like you know people like I've gotten to know them through a common a common struggle that we've had. So mm -hmm. right off the gate, it opens up, um, you know, like a door to be vulnerable because we're talking about this thing that has, you know, really ruined us for a long time and got us into a lot of sticky situations. Um, and you know, talking to those people, you know, talking to those people about like um, the, the growth that I've been experienced, the, the things I've been working on, the things I've been struggling with, um, that's been really cool as well. Yeah. Well, so let's. I mean, hop right into then how you ended up in this community. Um, where do you think the starting point of the story is? I mean, I'd say, so my first drink was, I was 12 when I had my first drink. Um, I was 13 when I had my first hit of weed. And like right off the bat, it was, it was like the solution, you know, it was the solution that I've been looking for. Um, I grew up a really anxious child, um, not feeling like I didn't fit in anywhere. Um, it was craving the attention and the validation of other people. Um, so I was very anxious and I just needed something to like stick me out, you know, and my brain was just constantly going and going and going. It, it just wouldn't shut up. It was just these anxious, loud thoughts all the time. And, you know, to make matters worse, my, my mom, my grandma died um, within a couple of months of each other, uh, when I was 12 in 2009 and that made matters worse. Um, and I started to isolate, but I, that I then experienced this weird mix of like, you know, still craving the attention and the validation of people, but not wanting to leave my house because I just wanted to isolate because I was, I was depressed. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I found alcohol and it just, it made everything go away. You know, it, it made my brain shut off and those, those noises in my head weren't nearly as loud anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So, and then I found weed a couple months after that and, you know, it just progressed. Um, it really progressed to a point that I didn't even know was possible. Um, but from age like 14, so like, you know, 15, so like freshman year of high school for me to mm -hmm. about age 21, um, I probably had like under like 20 to 30 sober days in all those years. I was either high or drunk or some combination of the both every day um, in those like six years. Um, so it was a really bad time. Um, so, you know, I talked about earlier how I was at Michigan at first, the University of Michigan. Um, so I played lacrosse in high school and I ended up getting an offer to go play lacrosse there. Um, so I went up there and like, you know, it was, I got, it was my dream to play D1. Um, so I was out there playing D1 and a couple months in, or sorry, a couple weeks in, um, I get diagnosed with a heart condition and I was told that I can never play lacrosse again. Um, and that was the only healthy coping skill I possessed at that point. And at that point, it still, it wasn't really, um, an effective coping skill in the war because my brain had just been using drugs and alcohol for so long. Um, but it, it was the only, like, I was holding on to that healthy coping skill by like a string and it was now gone because I couldn't play anymore. Um, so I went back to the only thing that I knew, which is drinking and drugging. And I decided to leave Michigan and take a year off before I figure out where I'm going to go next year, which is when I, I ended up at BC. Um, but in that year off, it was like, it was just horrible. Um, within, you know, I got home in like early October and about three months after that, I'm in a rehab for the first time in my life. I'm um, just wondering how the hell I got there. And what made you decide that it was time 
to, to go to rehab? Oh, I, I had no say in it. It was absolutely, it was my family. Um, okay. I, I didn't seek, I didn't seek treatment for myself until I was 22. So, mm -hmm. um, they made me go, um, um, and do you remember, yeah, do you remember what you were thinking when they said? Uh, I, th I thought it was a death sentence. I really thought it was a death sentence. And at the time I was, I was involved in a relationship with a woman and I was so codependent on this girl, this poor girl. Um, I put so much pressure on her and um, I just, she was like my only source of happiness at that time. It's in, you know, when my family's telling me that I'm going to go to rehab, that like, I need to go to rehab or I'm going to die from alcoholism then the first thing in my mind was, but, but I can't talk to her. How am I going to mm -hmm. talk to her when I'm in rehab? And that just shows that my priorities were completely out of whack at that point. Um, mm -hmm. And I get out of rehab. Um, I drank the day I got out um, after uh, 50 days of sobriety. And, um, you know, three weeks later, I'm, I'm in a psych ward because I want to kill myself. Um, and I go back to another rehab after that. And I get out and I drink again. And nothing, nothing was changing. Um, mm -hmm. And things just got so much worse. Um, I ended up in BC a couple months after that second rehab. Um, and I thought that changing- How did you, how did you manage? I mean, you're, you're at, you're dealing with so much. How did you manage to apply to transfer? Um, school on your mind. I mean, so when I got back from Michigan and they, they say that alcoholism is progressive illness and it really is. Um, so in, from the time I got back from Michigan to the time where I started the BC, which is about like, 11 months, 10 months, um, it progressed so much. Um, mm. Like it, it just got way worse. So I, I, you know, squared away all my applications and stuff um, for colleges in October, back at the beginning of this long run. Um, and then, so like towards the end of it, I didn't have, um, I didn't have to worry about like, you know, getting in my common app application and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not gonna lie, when I when I got the letter from BC saying that I got in off the waitlist, I forgot that I was even on the waitlist because um, I just wasn't thinking of yeah I wasn't thinking about school or anything. It wasn't a priority to me, and so I was like, oh cool, I got into BC. I guess I'll go there. And thank God I came here because it's, it's 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 been amazing. But it wasn't amazing at first. Um, like when I started out my freshman year, I I told myself that you know the change in geographic, the change from you know living at home to go into a new environment like BC, I, I told myself that that would keep me sober. Um, and it did not, like the first night, um, I was like, I was like, okay, great. Like I'm, I'm talking to some people and like, you know, it was nice. And then towards the end of the night, like they went to go do something else. But then the first night I started drinking again, I'm like, oh my God, it's, it's nothing, nothing is gonna change. I'm gonna continue to do this every day. And I did do it every day. And um, by the end of the semester, I had had two seizures from alcohol withdrawals because I was drinking from morning to night, every single night and day. Um, and it was, it was terrible. Like I barely got my finals done. It's a, it's a miracle that I even got through the semester. Um, Are you hospitalized? Yes. I was, I went to, um, so I went to two different detoxes in eight days. Um, wow. Okay. and then I ended up back in a psych ward, um, like right before Christmas and I, I got out of the psych ward, like I think a day or two before Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, and BC was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like this kid got, to, he went to the hospital three different times and stayed overnight in the hospital three different times in about a month. Like this kid needs to, you know, take, take, take some time off. Um, mm -hmm. So they basically made me take a semester off, um, which again, I thought was a death sentence. And I mean, it, it, it kind of was for a bit because nothing changed. Um, I didn't seek any more treatment right away. I just continued on the path that I was on and, 
you know, the, the seizures kept happening. I, I had, I had two more seizures in another four month period. And like, you know, if, if you don't know like what a seizure from alcohol is, it's like, there's two drugs that you can die from withdrawing from and it's Xanax or other, um, like benzodiazepines in really high doses and it's alcohol. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's, I'm very lucky that I survived all of them and I had five in total. Um, and I went on like that for a couple months and then my family basically, you know, did a, did an intervention on me. I don't know if you've seen that like, TV show or heard about that TV show um, where the family sits the person down and says like, listen, like you need to go to rehab. Like, and it's, mm-hmm. it's this big deal. It's, 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 it's kind of a big deal, I guess. It's not really, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they did that for me and I said, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll go to rehab, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. They're like, okay, like pack your stuff. We're, we're getting you on a plane. And I'm like, like, wait, why am I going on a plane? Why don't you just send me back to that same, uh, you know, crappy rehab that didn't do anything for me, um, which is in Western Massachusetts. I'm like, why am I? Are you still going? feeling resistant at this point? Like, okay, yeah, I'll go to rehab and I'm still going to feel the same way. Yeah. I mean, I just, I was so stuck in it at that point that um, I just, I, I didn't see how like anything would actually work. Okay. I couldn't yeah. even, I couldn't imagine taking a minute without drinking. Um, it, yep. was un- it was absolutely unbearable. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, were you actively feeling pain? So you were drinking to, you know, minimize that pain or had it just become such a way of life for you that it was just automatic and routine? It's, it's, I like, I like you said that because a lot of people think that it's just like a, a numbing thing the whole time, yeah. which it is, um, but it becomes its own way of life, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and you no, know, it becomes, medicine for the any pain or discomfort you experience but it also becomes the medicine for the pain that it creates you know yep. so then you just end up in this vicious cycle and it just keeps going going um mm. so it was a mix of things at that point like i was it was definitely a way of life because i was doing it for so long but any discomfort at all was i couldn't handle it like my, my i had no emotional stability whatsoever mm-hmm. uh, so that, you know, this, any, any slight discomfort was, was going to make me drink. And even if I was extremely happy, I was going to drink. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was kind of, it was kind of both. Like it was just what you did. It was, it was the only thing that mattered in that, at that point in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Were you scared? Um, I mean, no, but like I should have been, because mm-hmm. I had accepted the fact that I wasn't going to live past 25. Mm-hmm. Um, but. And that and, didn't scare you. No, because I, I did not want to be alive. I mean, yeah. I, I told you that I, I skipped over. There was two, there was three psych ward stays and mm-hmm. I was feeling suicidal in all of them. Um, yeah. And I had a plan for two of them. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't want to be there. Like, in, yeah. like a solution to my problem was out of the picture. Like I didn't think it existed. Um, so, I mean, that's what I wanted. You know, that's really what I wanted. And I, I, I couldn't see, I was so stuck in myself and I was just so, so selfish and sick at this point. That I couldn't see how like that would impact the people around me. I, I remember like vividly like crying to my dad, like begging him to let me do it, to let me kill myself. And I, I told him he was selfish for not letting me do it. And I couldn't see the insanity in that. But looking what did back, he, what did he say? He just kept he he just held me and kept saying, No, 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 I can't let you do that. I can't let you do that. And he was he was torn. He he, he was yeah. so confused. And um at the time I was just thinking about the pain I felt. Um mm-hmm it was so like, it was extreme, you know, but looking back at it, I can, I can only imagine. I mean, I, and I've had many conversations with him about it. Um, like the pain that was going on in him. Um, and you know, it breaks my heart to know that I 
that that happened, but it's not happening now, you know, and today we, we have a fantastic relationship mm-hmm. because I'm not doing all those things I was doing before, but yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So you're, you're, we'll go back to the main storyline. Okay. So you're, you're hopping on a plane and you're like, yeah. why am I not going to the facility in, in Western Mass? Yeah. So then they tell you you're going to Malibu, California. And I said, what? <laughs> I, said, I was like, I'm going to Malibu. No. <laughs> okay. So, and I was like, okay, like whatever. I guess I already signed up for this. So I, I ended up in a rehab in, in Malibu. Or was it, it was in Topanga, which is right next to Malibu. Um, it's a really- I've heard of it. It's very woodsy, right? Yes, yes. Forest, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's, 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 That's, all, it's on the bucket list. Yeah, oh, it's so amazing. You should definitely go out there. Don't go there for rehab. <laughs> okay, noted, noted. <laughs> um, but then I did a, um, so my first rehab stay, I did a, like a, it was like a, it was a brief stay. Um, but for the second time around, I was there for, or sorry, for the third time around, I was there for, I did a 72 day stay in residential rehab, which is a pretty long time. Um, yeah. And I get, I get out and I, I went to sober living for a little bit for about three weeks and I was going to start back up at BC. So this is, I was in sober living in about August of 2019. Okay. And I, was, I was, I already got accepted back into BC for the next fall semester. So I was planning on going back. Um, but you know, like when I was in rehab, I got introduced into, um, into Alcoholics Anonymous and, mm-hmm. you know, I found a sponsor. I did some of the steps um, and, you know, th- th- that planted the seed in me, but I, I, I still wasn't really ready to fully accept the fact that I was an alcoholic, um, which is just ridiculous. Cause, and I'm going to say this and uh, this is an important part of my story just to show people how low bottom I was and how just, I, I, like the, if I were to go any lower, I would have died, but I was, yeah. at the end of my drinking, I was chugging mouthwash. I was chugging hand sanitizer. I was, I was doing anything that I could to get yeah. out. Um, and yet I still wasn't convinced that I was an alcoholic. Wow. That's insanity. That is pure insanity. Yeah. What do you, I mean, what do you think your block was? Just complete denial? So that, yeah, that's exactly what, yeah, it's denial. And then like part of the disease is like, you know, people will talk about like kind of like personify alcoholism because it, it kind of makes it easier to think about it. But like the disease wants us to think that we don't have it. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it's almost like this thing just wants you to keep coming back to it over and over again. And it, it, it will, you know, trick your brain into, you know, into denying things and rationalizing certain, certain things to tell you why you can drink. Um, I mean, it's a drug. People forget that yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I, I didn't know that at first either. I, I was like, no, no, like it's different. It's different mm-hmm. than weed and yeah. heroin. It just, it's, it's like, a, it's part of the disease to think you don't have it, you know, um, and it's, it's really messed up because like, you know, some people really have to get like beat up really, really bad to like finally concede the, the big books talks about fully conceding to your innermost self that you're, that you're an alcoholic. And it, it took me a lot of pain and a lot of relapses to really, really believe that I was an alcoholic. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, I gave sober living. I had about three months sober at that point and I was starting up at BC um, in a week. And I, I still wasn't convinced that I was an alcoholic. So I drank the day I got home from California. Mm-hmm. All of that pain, you know, all of that pain and struggle that my family went through to set up the intervention. They had to watch me stay out in California for 90 days. And I drank the day I got back. And I, I can only imagine what was going through their heads at that point. I mean, at first I could only imagine, but I've talked to them about it now. So I, now I, I, I have some understanding of it. And it, it wasn't good things. It was, they were, they were deflated. They were hopeless for me. Um, yeah. 
but I came back to BC. I, I, I lasted about a week and a half being at BC. Um, okay, and what's the timeline of this now? This is? So this is um, fall, fall semester of 2019. Okay. So um, I lasted about a week and a half at BC. Um, and I started after about a week and a half, two weeks of drinking, I started to wake up with my shakes again. You know, I'm starting to withdraw all over again. Mm -hmm. And I, I feared, I was afraid, actually, that, which is actually a good thing that I was afraid. Yeah. But I was afraid that I was going to have a seizure and die. Um, and because, you know, when you start having those shakes, there's either, there's two options. You can either, you know, stop drinking and detox, or you can keep drinking to get rid of the withdrawals immediately. And, mm. you know, obviously option B is just going to make the problem worse in the long run. Um, so I don't know what part of me... Um, like got told me to get honest because you know an alcoholic drinking is like very dishonest um like you know very manipulative to the people around him or her um like i would lie to everybody i wouldn't if you asked me if i was drunk and i was i would lie until it was it was completely obvious that there was no question that i was drunk um yeah so i was very dishonest i would lie about everything i, I would lie to you about like my middle name like stupid stuff um just because i just used to it or yeah i mean it's just I don't want people to know that like what I'm doing. I want people to think that I'm okay. Mm -hmm. um, I want people to like, you know, not worry about my drinking. And I also just want them to leave me alone and let me drink, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and that's, that's just how it is when you're like in the middle of the, of the illness. It's just, you're naturally manipulative and dishonest. And like the, the book talks about it, how it's like, you know, an alcoholic when him or her is sober um, is like a very, you know, a good person pretty much, but give them one drink and watch them turn into this, you know, dangerously antisocial, dishonest, manipulative person. It's, it's a total Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but I don't know what it was, but something in me made me call my sister and tell her, like, Maggie, I need to talk to you right now. Um, mm -hmm. So I met up with her at Mac. Um, she goes to BC? Yes, yeah. Um, Older uh, or younger sister? So she's two years younger, but she's the great above me. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it was, but I called her. I said, Maggie, we need to meet up right now. And mm -hmm. she knew something was bad. She already had a, um, she suspected that I was drinking at this point, but I, I hadn't been honest about it yet. Um, and I, I, we, we sit down at Mac and I just started bawling my eyes out. And I'm like, Maggie, I'm drinking. Like, it's been like two weeks of drinking. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm shaking again. I'm terrified. And I remember walking out of Mac with her and we were sitting down on the, um, the far side of Mac. So like away from upper, the side of Mac that's like furthest away from upper. Mm. And we walked through the whole dining hall, like past like Coro and out that exit over near upper. And mm. I remember walking by all these filled tables with people talking and laughing at these tables. And I'm just bawling my eyes out walking past all of them. Mm -hmm. And I was humiliated. I was absolutely humiliated. Um, and, you know, she called, I didn't have the courage to call my sponsor and tell him what happened, but she took my phone, called him. And I got out, they got me back out on a flight to California the next day. Um, and I took another semester off from BC. Um, so, you know, something had to change, obviously, because nothing had changed. Um, and, you know, I get back to the same rehab. Um, I have the same sponsor. And, like, we start talking about, like, what needs to be different. And, you know, I was You're doing back a in lot of California at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, something needed to change, obviously. And when I, when I was in rehab and sober living last time, I was doing very well. Um, like things were going good. I was working hard in my recovery. But then as soon as I got out, uh, things got bad. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I had to like, change up some stuff. So, 
you know, I went through the, I started doing AA again. I, I went through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous again. And, you know, I could talk about that for like hours, but I won't, but that's where the program is pretty much in those 12 steps. Um, and we, we, I went through the work again and I had some different experiences going through it. Um, and I started to see things that I missed last time. I started to really grasp the, um, the spiritual aspect of the program. Um, and yeah, it was going, it was going really well. So I was, I was out there for, from, let's see, that was September, like that was September 9th of 2019. Mm-hmm. And I was out in California until early January. And then I came back. Um, and I, I enrolled back in BC for the, the next spring semester. So spring 2020. Um, and you know, I, I was definitely different. Um, I knew I wasn't confused where the solution was. I, I had been experiencing it for a while. Um, and so I, I come back to BC and like things are actually going good for a bit because mm-hmm. I was making recovery my number one priority for a while. So, I mean, I was doing really well in classes. I was going to meetings every day. I was talking to my sponsor every day. I was doing my prayers and my reflections and my meditations every day. And like things were going good and the, I wasn't stuck in my obsession to drink. And that's like, that's crucial. You know, the alcoholic needs to be removed the or needs to be relieved of the obsession to drink or else a relapse is just like, it's just a matter of time, you know? Yeah. Um, but I learned that the obsession to drink doesn't just go away and stay away. It only goes away and stays away if you continue to do certain simple things that are, are, are like, you know, you're, you're taught to do in the program. Um, like, you know, going to meetings, it's all about, you know, spiritual growth and stuff like that, helping other people. The obsession will stay at bay as long as you're doing those things. Um, and I didn't understand that at that point. I thought that I could kind of, um, you know, I, I had a cool experience doing the steps and I thought I could kind of let off the gas a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a grave mistake. And I mean, it was, it was an important lesson that I, I had to learn. Um, and I did learn a very hard way. Um, but, you know, I, I get through the whole semester up until COVID happens at BC, and, you know, things were going great. Like I, I was happy at school. I was uh, the months of January and February were the happiest I'd been in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because I was sober and there's no question about that. Um, but you know, COVID hits. And at that point I had already been slacking on some of those things that I just told you, I told you about. Um, and all of a sudden the idea of a drink sounded good. Um, I was feeling lonely because, you know, I was going to be, my friends were all leaving me for six months. Um, and I, I, my, I was not spiritually fit as we, we talk about that in AA, like being spiritually fit, like being connected with God, being connected with like, you know, um, like trying to grow actively and stuff like that. Um, and I, I wasn't, I was not fit at that point. Um, so as soon as that idea of a drink came in and my brain, you know, the alcoholic brain that we were talking about it, like it tells you that like, you know, oh yeah, one drink is okay. You know, like it rationalizes why you can drink. So it mm-hmm. went, as soon as I started thinking like, oh, like, you know, I'm lonely, I'm sad. It's gonna suck being away from everybody. Like that was all I needed to start to rationalize why I could drink again. And mm-hmm. I did. Um, and I talked about how it's, it's a progressive illness. Um, in three days, I end up in a hospital bed. Um, I was bl- with a tummy full of Listerine yet again. Um, because I ran out of money, because I always empty my bank account when I'm drinking. Uh, I just spend it all on, on booze right away. Um, and I end up in a hospital bed um, at 11 a.m. blowing a 0.4 BAC, um, which is like deadly. It's, it's right. deadly. And it was 11 a.m. Um, yeah. That's a little snapshot of how my drinking looks. Um, okay. 
And, you know, I, I, I went back to California again and I, I skipped, I didn't do, I didn't do rehab this time. I just went right into sober living. And, you know, I was, I was done at this point. Um, I was sick of it. I, I was just sick of it. But, and I had learned a lot of important lessons along the way, like in that six months of sobriety that I had before I relapsed during COVID. Um, I learned a lot of important lessons, but there were a couple things that I, I missed out on. Um, and one of them I just mentioned, I learned that the obsession is it's, it's at bay right now. Today it's at bay because I did those certain things today, tomorrow mm -hmm. or no. If I do those certain things tomorrow, yes, it will stay at bay, but I have to do those things tomorrow. Um, I didn't know that back in, before I relapsed. And then also um, I, I mentioned the spiritual aspect of the program. Um, but I learned that, you know, there, there are no spiritual aspects of the program. It, it, the program in its entirety is, is spiritual. There's no aspect that is spiritual at all. It, the whole thing is, um, mm -hmm. and I didn't realize that before, but I know that now. And how so? Can you elaborate on, on so that? it all, like all, all I need to do to stay sober is to continue to grow closer to God and to perform his work well. And mm -hmm. it's an everyday thing, you know, and what, what does that, yeah. What does that mean for you? So basically, you know, it's staying close to him, um, staying close to him and growing closer to him. That's, you know, that's me hitting my knees morning and night, praying to him, talking to him, just letting him know how my day is going, asking him for help with certain things, asking him for help to grow in certain areas, asking him to, you know, for opportunities to be helpful to other people and to perform his work, um, you know, and praying throughout the day as well um, and staying connected throughout the day, like improving my conscious contact with God. That's what, that's what the book says. And I do that through like meditating throughout the day um, and doing things like gratitude lists, like spreading love to the people that I love, being mm -hmm. helpful, being helpful without, without any motive attached to it. Like just giving to you just for the sake of giving to you. That's it like get, getting myself out of the equation um and you know performing his work well it's just it's all about like i just said like being about other people thinking about other people and help how i can help meet their needs and not thinking about me and that's really what it comes down to and it's those are i know that those seem like very um like materialistic things i guess you could say like very concrete things you can do but mm -hmm. those are all spiritual practices like absolutely yeah yeah how i mean how do you see that playing out in your life on a college campus? So honestly, it's been, it's been amazing at BC. Mm -hmm. Since I've like had my priorities straight and I like understand how this program works, it's, it's changed everything. Um, AA, how AA works? Yeah, like AA yeah. Is it's, it, and AA has not only changed my view of like sobriety and like mm -hmm. being on a college campus, but it's like, it's really changed my like entire life. And I'm not putting that lightly at all. Um, mm -hmm. Like it really touched every aspect of my life. But, you know, doing those things on a college campus, it's, um, you know, people typically say that like, oh, you know, being on a college campus and being recovery in recovery on a college campus must be so difficult. It's really not that difficult. The big book tells me that if I'm spiritually fit, then I can go anywhere I want. I can do whatever I want. I can, I can go to events where there's alcohol being served as long as I'm spiritually fit. Mm -hmm. the, the only thing I can't do is drink, obviously. Like, <laughs> <that's it. laughs> yeah. You know, so like, and I live in the recovery house on campus, um, mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't know that that exists. But, I didn't know that that exists. Okay. Yeah, so it yeah. does. Um, I live with yeah. a couple of people that are, are sober um, in recovery. And, it's on campus. Yes, um, it's it's an off-campus house, but it's technically on-campus living. Um, owned by BC. Yes, owned by BC, operated by BC, and it's. I mean, it's it's been a game changer for me. It's it's um, like it's being in a safe space. You know, it's it's like 
you know, I haven't had the obsession to drink for a very long time, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, still being in a, in a, in a spot like this is helpful, you know? And like, uh, yeah, I go, I go out. I mean, I don't go out cause it's like, you know, COVID times, but like, <laughs> I, you don't go out right now. <laughs> right. I can like, no. when I go to my friend's house and like, they're having a couple of beers, like that's fine. Like uh-huh. I'm spiritually fit. It's okay. Like I can do that, but doing it on a college campus, it's like, it's really enjoyable actually. Cause you know, my alcoholism just happened to like really progress at a young age. Um, so by the age of like 20, I was in a rehab for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of people, you know, it's there. I've, I've met people that don't become like alcoholics until like age 30 or age 25 or age 40, you know? So like, it's, it's a good thing in my, in my eyes that it happened earlier to me. Cause like, you know, people around me, I'm, it's going to happen to like a lot of people around me. I know that one of my friends, professors, um, told her or told the class that like, you know, everybody knows at least one person who is like an addict. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's pretty much true, you know, at least one person, even if it's like a distant person. Um, But, you know, there's no timeline on like when this disease is going to sneak up on people, you know? Um, But the fact that it happened to me earlier and like, I've, I've found the solution, thank God. And I say, Mm -hmm. thank God, very literally, not just like, you know, the saying that a lot of people use it in. but since that happened, like I, I'm able to be helpful now when I, when I see it happening to people, you know? Um, and, you know, there's a lot of drinking on the campus like BC, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, people, everyone who drinks a lot or everyone who blacks out one time is an alcoholic. It's not what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's, but there are some people who like, you know, like when we graduate, you know, um, when the, some people will like look at their friends and like, you know, see them put down the bottle, be like, oh, well, you know, those, those four years of partying, that was really fun. Okay, let's go work in the real world now. And th- there will be some people, and this is a fact, that will be like, wait, wait, we have to stop this? You know, and people, yeah. people won't be able to stop it. You know, they won't mm-hmm. want to stop it. Um, and it, it, it's not even, a, they won't want to stop it. They, they can't stop it because they're, they're sick because it's, it's a disease. It really is. But yeah, I mean, BC, it's just, it's given me a lot of opportunity to be like helpful on campus, uh, like doing stuff like this. Um, health coaching has been really cool. I got to meet some people um, through the um, alcohol and drug education program who were, you know, interested in like recovery and sobriety. And I got to meet up with them, talk to them. And like, you know, um, a few of them are like active members like um, in recovery now. Mm-hmm. And it, I wouldn't have found those connections if it wasn't for BC. And yeah, we also have an AA meeting that's like on campus. It's it's on Zoom right now, but it's based out of campus. Or it's based off of our campus. Um, Did you start the AA chapter on campus? Or was we, it already here? We had it last semester, um, mm-hmm. but then it, we stopped it over COVID and then we, we resumed it in um, in September. So I'm the, I like run the meeting, um, but it's every Monday night at 7.30. I encourage people to come if they're just curious, if they want to learn more about it. Um, but yeah, and that's been wonderful. And I've gotten to meet even more people um, mm-hmm. who are sober and are, who are interested in sobriety through that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is like, like I've heard people say that like, you know, if you're, if you're in recovery, you need to be surrounded by people in recovery at all times. And, you know, I've heard that and it really made me bothered because I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. I think having friends that are, who are sober is essential. Don't get me wrong, it's essential. Um, mm-hmm. As long as I'm surrounded by good people, and people who are interested in growing with me, that's mm-hmm. what I need, you know, like I've got like the majority of my friends on campus um, are not alcoholics, um, but the people that I stay closest to are people that are interested in being 
as kind and as loving to everybody else as they can be. And mm -hmm. they're people that are committed to growing and becoming better versions of themselves. Look at the yeah. health community, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a question about that because you've mentioned that a lot and that's something that resonates with me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that's kind of the point of life is, <laughs> you know, is to grow between point A and point B. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one thing that I've, I've found really awesome about the BC community as well that I didn't necessarily expect coming in. I feel like there are a lot of very growth oriented people mm -hmm. um, and, and people who, it sounds cheesy, um, but I, I find overwhelmingly that the, um, the men and women for others holds true. And there's, everybody cares about the impact that they have on the world. Um, and that might look very different, mm -hmm. but they, they care. Um, and I don't think that's true of all schools. Right. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak to, I mean, these are two very loaded questions. So, you know, go as you will with them. Catch me. <laughs> yeah, but I, but yeah, I guess, what has growth looked like for you in, in the past, you know? Yeah, that's, I love that. And, and what is it gonna look like going forward? Like where, where do you wanna see yourself going throughout the rest of your college career and beyond? Yeah. Oh, that's, I'm so happy you asked that. Oh my God, your questions are on point. And like, so basically, I, I first had to start off by saying that like none of my growth, in my opinion, is like from me. Um, mm -hmm. Like when I tell you about the person that was stuck in the hospital bed after three days of drinking, mm -hmm. that's what my life looks like when God is not in it. You know, when I, when I, or, you know, God's always in it, but when I'm not seeking God and I'm running the show myself, that is where I end up. So that is me. That is me mm -hmm. without, without relying on God. And, you know, today I am not that person, not, mm -hmm. not even close to that person. And I know that if on my own willpower, I'm that person, that's it. There's no question about it. And everything that I am today is, is because of God is working in my life. And I, I believe that to be a fact. And I, some people might disagree with me. Um, it's my experience, so I'm sticking to it. Um, but so everything that I've grown to be is, is thanks to God, you know, and it's, it's thanks to me, like, you know, asking for his help, like constantly like looking for, like, looking for growth, looking for guidance and stuff. So everything that I want to become in the future, going by that same logic, it's only going to be with God, you know, like, mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. Um, yeah, no, it does. It sounds like faith is extremely central to growth for you. Yeah, for me. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's yeah. what it comes down to is just like, like keeping an open mind in all things. Um, and I, I know I've, I know I've used the word big book all the time. And I, I, I just realized that you might have no idea what that is, but it's like the book that we use in AA. It's I figured, like, I figured. Okay. At first I thought you might be talking about the Bible, but then I realized that it was focused on alcohol. So right. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an AA guidebook. I'm yeah. 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 So it's basically, it's like a textbook for AA pretty much. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it tells you the instructions for everything. And it says that, you know, God either is or he isn't. And that means that God is in everything and in anything you know he's, he's in the connection between me, me and you right now he's in the coffee that's sitting right there that i'm going to destroy as soon as we're done he's in my or he's in nothing um so like by that logic like if i just have to keep an open mind and seek him in all things and that is spiritual growth in itself that's one aspect of it you know like mm -hmm. looking for god in things um like genuinely seeking him and it's, it's not that difficult to do that really. Cause if God is, if God is, cause I believe that God is rather than God isn't, mm -hmm. then I will find him in things if I'm looking for him, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but then on a, on a more like, um, that's more on like a, um, like a transcendental trend, 
let, I, I don't I don't know what I'm, how to phrase the word, but it, that's more like between me and God, you know, mm-hmm. but like on a more like, you know, like right a divine, here, right? a divine. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but on a more like, you know, like material plane, like, you know, like my interactions between other people and stuff. That's where, that's where my work, that's where the work comes in, you know, right. um, you know, I can pray and meditate all that I want. And if, if that was enough to keep me sober, then I think a lot more people would be sober today. If you could just stay sober off of prayer and meditation. Um, mm-hmm. But it involves a lot of action, you know, getting mm-hmm. out in the world, investing in other people's days, um, helping other people, loving other people. That's where, that's where the real work comes in. And, you know, to grow spiritually is to become the, the most loving and the most helpful person that I can be. And you know, there's, there's things that I do every day to like, you know, to try to do that. Um, and it really comes down to, am I, am I relying on myself in my own self-will or am I relying on God? Am I, how's my God reliance looking? Um, mm-hmm. when I'm relying on God, I am loving and I am helpful to people, but when I'm relying on myself, that's when, you know, I'm trying to get situations to go my way. I might be dishonest to people. I might be self-seeking or very fearful. That's self-will. Um, mm-hmm. So just trying to give up my will to God more and more every day. And it will, I will never, ever be able to say that I was 100% in God's will all day today. It's impossible. It's, mm-hmm. it's just impossible. Um, yeah. And, you know, people who have much, much more time than me in AA will tell you that it's impossible. Um, but it's in the seeking. It's in the seeking and, and the effort to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like at, at nighttime, um, this is the part of the steps. Um, this is like the 11th step. At, at, night, at nighttime, you, you do some writing. You know, you, you, you run through where I, w- or I, I run through where I was selfish today, where I was afraid today, where I was self-seeking, where I was dishonest, who I was resentful towards. And then talk about like, okay, do I owe an apology to anybody? What could I have done better? Was I kind of loving towards all people? And like looking at those things is the growth, you know, because I see where I could have done better today. And then I ask God for help in doing better in those areas the next day. Um, yeah, it's, I know it sounds complicated, but it's not, it's, it's really simple. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's just about, you know, trying to connect with God and to spread love and help people. That's it. If I'm doing those things, then I'm growing. Mm-hmm. I could have saved you all five minutes by saying, no, that. no, <laughs> no, that was beautiful. That was yeah. beautiful. Um, yeah. So, so I guess that kind of stems into my, my second question. What does it mean for you to be a man for others? That's, that's where I've had all my amazing experiences in sobriety, you know, like in, yeah. in AA, again, I, I keep talking about it because it's really important to me. Um, we talk yeah. about these like spiritual experiences, you know, um, and, you know, step 12 says having had a spirit, step 12 is the last step. And it's the last step because it's, it's a continuous step. So you don't finish it ever. But it's mm-hmm. having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Um, and yet those spiritual experiences I, I've had, I had, there hasn't just been one. It's been a series of things. And the most like profound experiences I've had are when I'm being helpful to other people. And when I'm truly just getting out of myself and I'm giving myself to someone else without expecting any validation or like ego inflation in return, but just giving to you because I want to love you and help you. Mm-hmm. That is when I've had these amazing experiences. And that's when I feel like connected. You know, I feel like I actually have a purpose when I'm doing those things, you mm-hmm. know, for is me. Is that in the little things or is that, you know what I mean? When you're, when you're doing things for other people, like what does that look like for you? 
So it, it can be little and it can be big. And I, I think that it's, it's the little things that add up to big things too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And now since I've been like on this path of trying to be a man for other people, like I, I get a sense of accomplishment when I do the small things. Like when I hold a door for someone or when, you know, when I, when I'm on the phone with someone um, from like, you know, like a, my therapist office and they're, they're used to just saying like, hi, how are you? Good. How are you? You know, and stopping and saying, hi, how are you? How's your day going today? Mm-hmm. And like waiting for an answer. And like, you know, this is a really stupid and small example. It's not, yeah, not rushing through, like actually caring about the person on the other yeah. side. Yeah. And it's, I get like really, I, I feel satisfaction when I do those things. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I know that I'm it's authentic. It's authentic. Yeah, exactly. It's real, it's real human connection. I absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I love that word. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> real human connection. It's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's in the small things I can actually find like a, a sense of joy in doing those things, but it's also the big things, you know, um, like, you know, I've, as a result of doing these steps and being connected with God and God working in my life, like I, my life has been saved from the, I was a walking corpse for a long time. I'm not anymore. And there are many, many people out there who are walking corpses right now. And the harsh reality is that there are many people who will just die. You know, like the stats are not in the favor of, of drug addicts and alcoholics. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm in a position where I found like a real solution to my problem. And mm-hmm. there are people out there who need that solution. And that is where, that is like where my purpose comes in. That's where like the, my life's calling comes in. Like that is my priority today. Um, yeah. I know that, you know, we're doing this podcast. I'm at school. Uh, like, I'm sorry, BC, but that is my priority because <laughs> that isn't my priority. If recovery is my number one priority, if helping mm-hmm. others is my number one priority, then I won't have school, then I won't have my, my Nothing friend. else matters. Who cares about yeah. your class tomorrow? If exactly. you don't have purpose in your life. Right. And my sponsor, which is a, you know, like basically like a mentor in AA, um, he says it so well. He says that when I make, or he says from his experience, he, he's like, when I make recovery my number one priority, the universe conspires in my favor. It's true. It's true. It's like, yeah. It's all about you put stuff out there. And it's kind of like what you were saying about, you know, God or the universe or whatever people call that higher power, mm-hmm. whether it is or isn't, you know, mm-hmm. you will find that reality. Yeah. Whatever oh, you're true. looking for, yeah. you know. That, yeah. that, I love that. It's a, it's a, I love making the connections between. AA, I mean, AA, it's just like, it's spiritual. That's all it is. Like mm-hmm. people get turned off when they hear the word AA. But it's, well, so, it's, so my question is, is AA, because um, I honestly didn't realize that it, it had this spiritual or religious element. Is, is it Christian or is it just so, broadly spiritual? So it's, I, it, and I should have touched, I should have addressed that at first. Um, it's not religious at all. It's okay. spiritual. Um, spiritual, okay. People pick out like, you know, people have a higher power that is, is, um, is personal and relational to them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my higher power, I just choose to call my higher power God. So that's why I've said God so often, but like, you know, there are other, are other people, like I have friends, like one of my best friends, um, his higher power is love. Mm-hmm. So, I've heard that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So it's stuff like that. So it's, um, and it, it's designed to, you know, cause people, a lot of people get turned off by religion, you know, um, it, yeah. it keeps yeah. them out. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's something interesting that, you know, as a wellness coach, doing the general topics um mm-hmm. whenever we get to spirituality people you know it's usually pretty concise very like oh either i'm catholic and i grew up going to church or nope don't like religion not important not a priority mm-hmm. um, i think a lot of people don't realize how broad spirituality can be and also how important it is 
Yeah, and it's it's different from religion, and that's people. Yeah, and that's, I used yeah. to come together. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's about love and purpose. Yeah, exactly. It's and, kind of the most important one, but yeah. people tend to want to skip over it. Yeah, and it's oh, I, I love that because it's like the big book is essentially the the amount of um, like uh, connections. I'm taking a theology class right now, mm-hmm. uh, God, self, and society, and the amount of connections I've made between things that I've learned and things that I've practiced in AA that I'm, I'm seeing in the Christian tradition is just mm-hmm. phenomenal, you know? Wow. And it's, it's, it's eye-opening. It really is. Um, and like, if I, if you were to summarize, me and my friend talked about this before, but if you were to summarize the big book, the Bible, the Quran, the Torah, like if you were to summarize all the, the, the world's major relig- religious texts, they all essentially have the same message in them. Mm-hmm. Just being mm-hmm. said in ways. And it's how, do, how, how to get out of self 101. How to love other people one-on-one, you know? Golden rule. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. back to like kindergarten classrooms. That's what I like to say about religion. It's it's often reflections of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just, you know, there's some are said in different languages. Some are said with different types of vocabulary. It's all the different, same. Different parables. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And the big book is no difference. It's, it's the exact same thing. Um, That's awesome. It's cool because it simplifies it. It makes me... Um, I was afraid at first when I got into AA that like people would judge me for being in AA. Um, mm-hmm. But now that like, you know, like all my friends, all my close friends and my family like know what AA actually is. And it's not just everything that, you know, people tend to make up in their mind. Like when they picture AA, um, like, I don't know, but you guys, but like I used to picture like a bunch of people like sitting in a church basement with like a, oh, I was going to say that the basement scene, like the sad basement scene. Yeah. Kind of like, it's from the, it's from media. It's from movies. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever seen Breaking yeah. Bad? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Jesse, Jesse and his girlfriend, I forget her name, when they're at the NA meeting in the basement, mm-hmm. and everyone's miserable. There's just one singular light hanging in the middle. Exactly. Of the <laughs> yeah. The dim lighting. Everyone's yeah. Like, <laughs> like that's what I pictured, but it's powdered, not. Powdered, coffee, like out of the powdered can. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it's just your instant copy. Everything's everyone's miserable. Everyone's fighting off the urge to go take a fat shot of fentanyl every minute. It's yeah. it's not what it is. You know, that's yeah. not what it's like at all. It's it's a community based on love, acceptance, and just helping other people and becoming yeah. better people. Um, mm-hmm. So as soon as I learned that, and as soon as I just I explained that to all my friends and they and my family, and they see it in my actions. Like the the, the fear of judgment just like went away. You know, mm-hmm. and the fear of judgment also went away by doing steps because. I've learned that, you know, fear, I only feel afraid when I'm relying on myself. Because um, mm-hmm. if I was truly relying on God, like, there's no reason to be afraid. There's nothing mm-hmm. to be afraid of if I'm completely relying on God. But I'm a human, and I'm on this path of growth. So, of course, I'm going to slip back into self-will, like, many mm-hmm. times over and over again each day, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that that's, I feel like it's a lot easier to keep faith in whatever your higher power is when things are going really well, how do you hold on to that when it feels like there's a storm around you? I don't know where you're getting all these questions, but like, I, I think about these things all the time and you just ask me a bunch of questions that I think about a lot. And I was thinking about That's that awesome. You were, meant, you were meant to be on this podcast. <laughs> I was thinking about that today. Because um, okay. I mean, I, I wish I could get up here and tell you that like everything is perfect all the time. But it's, mm-hmm. it's obviously not. That would be such BS if I told you that. Um, like there are days when I'm completely overwhelmed by homework. I'm sitting in self-pity too much. Or I'm, you know, worrying about if she's going to love me back or not. I'm, I'm thinking I'm inadequate. Um, 
I also have a, 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 I'm, a I'm also recovering from an eating disorder. So that, you know, that, that sticks around and lingers in the back of my mind too. You know, it, things aren't perfect, but overall, um, I shared this at the, the health coach thing, but like my, my slope is linear, you know, or my slope mm-hmm. is, on a, a, I have a positive slope going. Yeah. Um, and that's all I can ask for, you know, it's, net positive. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But you know, in those moments, like, you know, when I am stuck, stuck in self-pity or I'm overwhelmed or I'm sad or I'm a little depressed or I'm discontent, like, you know, AA is giving me things that I can do to help with that. Um, mm-hmm. And first thing first, I got to call another person. You know, um, well, typically I like to pray first. Um, that's first things first, pray about it, see what I'm feeling, ask for God's help, and then call someone else, talk to mm-hmm. someone about it. Um, maybe get to a meeting um, and just talking to other people, connecting with other people. And, you know, meditation has been like a game changer for me. Um, not only so I can like, you know, continue to seek my higher power, but it's also just been a complete game changer in like, you know, managing my anxiety and managing my depression. Um, it's worked better than any Prozac ever has for me in my depression. Um, mm-hmm. And that is, it helps me calm my mind down, just recenter me and just, you know, help me get back to my day with like a sense of a, a new, new felt sense of purpose and energy, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. But yeah, I mean, but those moments, uh, one of the biggest things is like, you know, in those moments where things are, you know, not so great, um, like I can actually look at them as like, as like a, another rung up the ladder, you know, it's like another, um, it's another like building block for growth, you know, it's an opportunity to grow. Um, Cause it's really easy to stay connected with God when everything is sunshine and roses, but mm-hmm. you know, it's those, those, you know, the situations where it's difficult and that's where I can put my faith to the test and I can grow from it, you know? So yeah. I mean, adversity. Yeah. And like, growth. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not like so much like a easier, easier said than done though. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, it took me, I mean, dude, like on, on Saturday, like I, I was stuck in self-pity for a while and I was not looking at it as an opportunity for growth for a couple hours. And then I was towards the end of it, but at first I was not. Um, I mean, that's, that's awesome that even in it, you were still able to. Yeah. It's, just, it's a progress. It's a process. Um, it is. And it's, it's not a straight line. My dad always says that it's not, <laughs> it's yeah. not a straight line. <laughs> I mean, no one's journey is. Yeah. Um, all right. I have two final questions for you. Um, you can answer both, answer one, answer them together. Um, I, I think, okay. So a, um, this all started when you were 12, a decade ago, if you could go give yourself, you know, one piece of advice, classic question, but what, you know, what could you give yourself? And then second question is, um, what do you want your legacy to be? Uh-huh. <laughs> little well, questions, little questions. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just light questions. Just not, not even like that meaningful or anything. <laughs> <laughs> like <Light> Mary. Uh, <laughs> I would say like to my 12 year old self, like, I don't know, that one's tough for me. Cause it's like, I have kind of accepted the fact that like everything has happened for a reason. And like mm-hmm. every life experience has, has built up to the point that I'm at right now. And that there is a, a plan behind everything. So like, it's hard for me to answer that and say that I would like really want to change things. Yeah. Cause like, you know, I, I had to learn from- You wouldn't you know, be where you are. Right. And I, I, sometimes you like, you really, like when you're really down the dumps, like hurting, like that's when you learn a lot of lessons sometimes. From my experience, that's, that's what it's been like. But- oh, I would agree. I would yeah. agree. I would not be the person I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, there's very little that I would change. Yeah. But I would say like, don't, honestly, like people's opinions of me and like, 
um, how afraid I was of like people not holding me in the highest of regard. I was terrified of it. And I guess I would just tell my 12 year old self like to like, dude, no one cares about how you look. When you walk into a room, people might look at you for a millisecond and then they look away and go on with their day. Like you are not that important. To Nobody's thinking about you that much. Yeah. yeah. And I, I told myself all throughout high school and the beginning of college that like everybody was always looking at me, judging me, thinking about me. And it's just not the case. So I would definitely yeah, tell It's them. so funny. I actually, I actually got a lot of um, solace from that as well. Like I, when I, I think probably in college was like freshman year when I was finally like, nobody cares about me that much. Like not in a way that I don't matter, but in a way that like everybody has so many things on their own mind. Like nobody is taking the time to pick and dissect you apart and judge you. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Like, fact <laughs> matter is like, you know, everyone, we're all a little selfish, you know, like well, yeah. we think about ourselves most of the time every day, like, yeah. like all of us do. So it's like, and like, if I think about like, you know, when someone walks into a room, am I looking at them and staring at them and know judging them in my head like no I'm not so why would anyone else be doing that to me no yeah. I'm like oh hey it's Colin yeah exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> it goes to how to be. and then I'm like okay now what time do I have to start my next thing like you know right. your mind is exactly. not yeah yeah so that's that's yeah. the biggest thing is I mean and that was I found a, just like you I found a lot of relief from realizing that like I'm not that important to people yeah exactly it's kind um, of like a counterintuitive like yeah. point yeah. yeah and then all of a sudden I'm like wait but I should be they should be thinking of me like why aren't they thinking of me and it's just I can never be content until now I am content now you're content but, that's good yeah but um the other question was oh what do I want my legacy to be mm-hmm. I just I mean I, I want to be sober for the rest of my life um, I want people to to know me as the person you know who like you know was a drink to die alcoholic who got sober and is now living his best life um my friend used to always say something along the lines of like Oh, Colin, like, oh, that, re- that reliable, happy dude living his best life. Like, <laughs> I want people to think of me as that, you know? Um, I love that. That reliable, yeah. happy dude living, living his, his best life. life. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> what friend came up with that? That's a great friend. Uh, he, was, he was another dude from AA. His name's Matt. Yeah, I met him out in California. Yeah, he's a great cool. dude. Um, he sounds like it. But yeah, I just want to be able to, you know, continue to stay on this path and to continue to be helpful to people, not... Like, I don't want people to like, I don't want that. So people will look at me and be like, wow, he helped so many people. Like, no, like if I'm doing that, then I'm making it, then it's about me and it's about my ego. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to just do that just for the sake of being loving and helpful to people and with Mm -hmm. no strings attached. Um, Because, you know, if if I have strings attached, then I'm making it about me and Mm -hmm. it can't be about me. If if I'm making it about me, then I'm not going to be able to be as helpful to the other person as I can be. but yeah, I just want to be able to help people, be help, helpful to people, be loving to people, and just just be growing and being a happy, content, content dude, living my best life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a beautiful.